This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Today we'll hear about a golf tournament that uses everything from bones to fake legs for golf clubs. Uh, tips to get you prepared for the renewal process of Medicaid. As you head outdoors this spring, it's essential to understand the proper ways to handle ticks. Sonley Adelstensen is here with Cameron Connor to discuss the most common ticks found in Missouri, how to prevent these parasites from latching on, and some of these primary diseases that they carry. Yeah, so the most common ticks that we worry about in terms of human disease risk are the Lone Star tick, the American dog tick, and the black-legged tick. Uh, We are starting to see some other vectors of disease show up in Missouri um, just recently, and those are the Gulf Coast tick and the Longhorn tick. What kind of tests are you guys running to make sure, or I guess sample size, that that population rate? Yeah, we use um, a lot of different methods to try to understand which ticks are out there and are most uh, risky in terms of human health. Um, we are, are using, we, we use dry ice actually to capture the Lone Star ticks. So most of these ticks, they have specialized organs that let them sense carbon dioxide, uh, because that's what their hosts breathe out. Right. So, and dry ice is just frozen carbon dioxide. So we use these traps that, um, emit you know, as they sublimate, they, the dry ice releases carbon dioxide gas and any ticks that are in the area sense that and then basically try to chase down and get to that host. Um, so we use that method a lot to census the tick population in different habitats and different areas. And then uh, our group working with some collaborators, we are, are looking at different pathogens that the ticks may be carrying bacterial pathogens and then also some some viruses that have only recently emerged in the last 10 years or so. Dry eyes to capture ticks. That's something I've never heard of before. That's definitely very interesting. That's that's a note to self. When you mentioned diseases, it could it could be a segment all in itself talking about every single one of these and how exactly they have impact humans and affect them. But just to give more of a general wrap up of it, how about the most common diseases? transferred to humans via ticks and to like some of the more lesser common ones, if, if that's making sense. Yeah, here. So here in Missouri, uh, probably the, the most common diseases that we worry about are ehrlichiosis, which is transmitted by the Lone Star tick, and then Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, which is transmitted by the American Dog Tick. Uh, both of these are bacterial caused by bacterial pathogens, which fortunately means they can be treated pretty well with just a, a regular course of antibiotics. Um, but, you know, for, for folks that have been bitten by a tick, it's important to note, you know, when and where, and that can help practitioners with the diagnosis. Um, some of the less common tick-borne diseases we are getting concerned about are these new viruses, uh, bourbon virus and heartland virus. Uh, they've likely been a lot around much longer, but we've only just, uh, you know, they're new to science in, in the last 10 years or so. Uh, they still appear to be fairly rare, um, but we do find them in the tick populations uh, here in the, in the St. Louis area. You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with Solny Adelstensen. She is a staff scientist at Washington University in St. Louis, and we are speaking about ticks.
the most common ones in Missouri, and also the most common diseases they may carry, as well as what to do if you come in contact with a tick, the best way to remove it, and also the best way to prevent it from happening. And another one that I'd love to bring up, if it's something that you think is in Missouri or has been found, is, and it's something that is increasing in cases. I've met four or five people in my lifetime, actually, that have had it, and it's been transmitted from an original tick bite, and that's the alpha-gal syndrome. Are, is that something that you have found in Missouri at any point in time, or are you guys, is it on the radar at least to be watchful for if it ever enters the state? How, how about that? Yeah, absolutely. Alpha-gal is a huge concern. Um, we think about it a little bit differently because it's not caused by the, it's not a typical pathogenic, you know, infectious disease that's caused by, you know, what we often think of with infectious disease, like a bacteria or a virus. But the alpha-gal syndrome can be really devastating for people. And it's when uh, a bite from a tick causes that person to develop a sensitivity to uh, mammalian meat, to red meat. And in some cases, that that sensitivity can be a really severe allergic reaction, including anaphylaxis. Um, there's a lot of research being done on this right now, uh, trying to identify what molecule actually in the tick saliva can cause that allergy um, to develop. But uh, yeah, it's certainly a big concern here in Missouri as well. And to your point about some of those most severe cases, it in a lot of times people can have reactions or some sort of sensitivities even to a lot of what those red meat oils and such are used in all sorts of products that's why we use such heightened importance to something that's on the radar for that and to your point it is something that is still very on and studying and researching and understanding so it's definitely going to be interesting to see how that is and that leads to the next chapter in our conversation here which is if you are in a tick infested area which especially in a place like missouri are all over the place. If you have a tick on you, how long is it before something like this is transmitted? And it doesn't just have to be alpha-gal. We can go back to Rocky Mountain spotted fever and all those as well. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Um, truly, we, we don't have enough information, to be perfectly honest, about a lot of these pathogens that ticks can transmit. Some are, especially bacterial pathogens, are thought to take a little bit longer just because of where they're hanging out within the tick. And then this whole physiological process has to happen where the bacteria moves around in the tick and to a point where then it can get into a host. But there are likely other pathogens that can be transmitted much quicker. So when I say it takes a longer time, um, for some of these bacterial pathogens, it might be 24 hours or so, um, and which really, you know, emphasizes the need to do tick checks frequently if you've been outdoors in tick habitat. Um, but, you know, some studies from other parts of the country looking at tick-borne viruses have shown that they can be transmitted really quickly um, in, in a matter of, of minutes. So uh, the, it really runs the gamut. And yeah, you just we really have to be hyper aware um, when you're in tick habitat and be really vigilant about checking yourself frequently. It shouldn't necessarily detour people from doing the, the activities they love for those outdoor enthusiasts out there. It's just to have heightened awareness. And that's that's really what the importance and the purpose of this interview is to hear. So let's say someone's outdoors and all of a sudden, you know, they, they get back to their house 10 minutes later and they're doing this inspection. And wherever it is, they find one. What do you recommend as the best way to remove a tick 
in a way to where no other remnants of it are left around or, or in you or <laughs> I, guess, I guess on you in any way. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And I, I totally want to reiterate your point about it shouldn't ruin our enjoyment of the outdoors. So I think one of the most amazing things about Missouri is all these beautiful protected spaces that we have for um, all kinds of recreation. So but to get to your question, yeah, if you do find a ticket attached, important not to panic. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that not all ticks are carrying something that can make you sick. Right. So so there's still a chance that the tick might be totally uninfected and there's nothing that it could give you. Um, but you do want to be careful in how you remove it and to do it properly. Unfortunately, there's a lot of bad information out there and and different kind of less than ideal methods that some folks recommend for removing ticks. But it's really just very simple. Best case scenario, you can get fine tip tweezers and try to grasp the tick right where it's entering the skin. So at, at the surface of your skin, uh, the tick has these mouth parts that it uses to, to actually bite. So you want to try to grab the mouth parts and just pull it directly out without twisting it or, or turning it or, or putting anything on it. Some folks will advocate for putting a little neosporin on after you've removed the tick just to to help deal with any irritation that might happen at, at the site of tick attachment. And then uh, I do tell folks to note where that tick bite occurred and when. And if you have the ability to even save the tick and put in a Ziploc bag, you know, write, write your name and date on it and where it was attached and, and just put it in the freezer and hopefully you never have to look at it again. Um, but if you were to develop symptoms, then that's, you know, really valuable sample there to, and information to know where you were bitten and um, even what kind of tick it was. Solney, as a wrap-up question for you, we already mentioned it, but can you give a little bit more advice about tick prevention when people are going outside? Yeah, so I, I want to stress the importance of these personal protective measures. So in addition to doing the tick checks, there are some steps you can take even before going outdoors, especially during, well, tick season really is all year round in Missouri, but the height of the Lone Star tick season is, is from about now in March uh, through October or so. It's really just about covering up, right? So creating more of a barrier for those where they have to crawl on your clothing longer before they get to skin. So uh, I know it's hot here in the summer, but <laughs> if I'm going into the woods or a, a area I expect to, to be somewhat ticky, I always wear closed-toed shoes, long pants, tuck your pants into your socks. It's it's quite a look, but it, it does help with tick prevention. And then... Uh, using some chemical sprays can be really effective too. So um, the best one, in my opinion, is is permethrin, and that's one where you can treat your clothing in advance, let it dry fully, and that that chemical remains in the fibers of that clothing. And when ticks come into contact with it, they'll either drop off of you or or die. Um, and it's good that. La that treatment will last for, depending on the product, uh, seven or eight washes. So it's something that you can 
you know, spend some time to treat your clothes in advance of tick season and then maybe do one or two reapplications depending on how much you're, how much time you're spending outdoors. But the really just covering yourself up well and, and using some of these sprays is, is very effective. Staff scientist at Washington University in St. Louis, Solny Adelstensen. Thank you so much for joining us on Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Over the past few years, the COVID-19 pandemic has affected how we live our daily lives. Today, one in five Americans experience emotional and mental health challenges, but many of us do not understand what we are facing or how to ask for help. At the American Psychiatric Association Foundation, we work every day to eliminate stigma, combat mental illness and substance use disorders, and advance mental health. If you or someone you love needs help, you are not alone. Please visit mentallyhealthynation.org to learn more. I see you finally got a new helmet! I did. Bought it cheap online. <laughs> Follow me. We'll turn off here. I'm right behind you! Watch the cars. They can be crazy. Teddy! No! Are you okay? Somebody do something! Was this young man hit by a car? Yes, and his helmet is smashed. It's a brand new helmet! It's probably a fake. Fakes cause real harm. You're smart. Buy smart. Brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. I drive my bus in a busy city. That's why road safety is so important to me. I know that I must slow down and be extra careful when I make a wide turn. Buses need more room than cars. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, remember to give buses plenty of time and space to finish turning before driving ahead. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. I've been driving trucks for a long time. Safety is my number one priority. I know that my truck has huge blind spots. That's why I remember to check my mirrors often for smaller vehicles. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're behind the wheel, try to avoid lingering in those blind spots. It can be dangerous. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training, along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. This is Show Me Today. Missouri's prairies have gotten smaller, but they can still be an important part of the state's ecosystem. Ashley Bird talks with Carol David, the director of the Missouri Prairie Foundation, about her group's work to preserve prairies and educate us. First of all, I want to say congratulations on Conservationist of the Year. That is a major statewide recognition. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. 
So uh, this is because of your work with the Missouri Prairie Foundation and all of its various projects. Let's start with the foundation today, Carol. Um, why do we need this effort, this foundation, to preserve Missouri's prairies? Well, for a number of reasons, it's very important to protect uh, our remaining prairies. And it's important to understand that, you know, prairies have been here for thousands of years. If we if we think about prairie as, as we think about it today, it's about 8,000 years old, but really millions of years in the making in terms of, you know, evolution, evolutionary changes and think on uh, changes on the landscape. So it's a really, our prairies that have never been plowed in Missouri are old growth prairies. We, we talk about old growth forests, but there are old growth prairies as well. I think, you know, when you, when you drive through Missouri, you see lots of grass and you think, well, prairie must not be very rare. There's grass everywhere. But most of the grass we see in the landscape in Missouri is tall fescue, which is a non-native grass. It was from Eurasia. It was introduced in the United States um, in the 50s and really became widespread in the 70s and the 80s. And it's an important forage grass because it's uh, it can be, it's green and growing at this time of year when our native grasses and wildflowers are not growing. So that is very important. It's an, it's important for, for cattle. But it's not prairie. And of about 50 million acres of prairie that we had prior to Euro-American settlement, today we actually have fewer than 50,000 acres remaining. So that's less than one-half of 1%. And yet they are incredibly rich ecosystems. Um, the Missouri Prairie Foundation owns 32 uh, prairies and some reconstructed prairies. And one of the ones that we own, it's called Pennsylvania Prairie, broke a world record in 2018 for plant species diversity on, on a small scale. So in a 20 by 20 inch frame, botanists found 46 native plant species, which is incredible. In a typical oak hickory forest, if you were to put down a square of 20 by 20 inches, you'd find on average seven plant species. So to find 46 in this in this 20 by 20 inch square is indicative of how incredibly rich um, these prairies are. And of course, those plants are the foundation for insect life. The insects are, are food for higher level organisms, uh, ground nesting birds, birds like quail. And soils under prairies are gold mines of biological information. We're just beginning to learn about the processes within prairie soil. And the more we learn about nutrient uptake by uh, of, of prairie roots and, and how prairie roots are associated with uh, fun, fungi in the soil, all of that information can help us learn how uh, we might be able to apply those things to agriculture. So something ancient can help us maybe even continue to modernize agriculture efficiently, right, versus chemicals? Yes. Well, it, we, we may not be able to replace that entirely, but it's, it's definitely um, worth investigating. And you're right, prairie is this ancient ecosystem, but it can serve as a model for modern agriculture. For example, um, there is a practice, a CRP practice called CP43 prairie strips. 
And it's the practice of planting a strip of prairie plants within a row crop field of corn or soybeans or around it or in pivot corners. And the roots of those uh, prairie plants help keep the soil on the land. They help filter water. They keep fertilizers on the land. So they help keep productive farmland productive. And where do we get the seeds to create those prairie strips? We get those seeds from original prairies. So even if we don't live near an original prairie, um, if we live in a, in a suburb and we want to have prairie plants, you know, in a garden or a meadow in our backyard, we have to preserve those original seed sources. And seeds can be sustainably harvested from those original prairies. And then those are very important for the native seed industry. And they're Missouri grown. So. You talked about preserving. Um, I, I see that the Missouri Prairie Foundation actually has acquired acreage. Tell me the different ways you can preserve. You, you buy some land. What, what other ways? Sure. So, yes, we currently own 32 properties and totals about 4,400 acres. And they're all over the state, but mostly in the southwest part of the state because of the rocky soil. Um, some of those prairies were spared plowing because of the rocky soil. So we do purchase land when we have the funds available from willing sellers. Um, we have had several properties donated to us by the owners. Um, another way that prairies can be protected is through uh, conservation easements. So a landowner who owns a prairie can donate or sell a conservation easement to an organization that's basically like selling or giving away development rights. So it helps protect that land from whatever it is you want to protect it from, say plowing, for example, or building a building on it. And then that easement is a document that stays with the deed to the land. So if the land changes ownership, um, that conservation easement is tied to that deed. So that's another option as well. And that's something that we are also starting to get involved with, with the Missouri Prairie Foundation. And another option is to, is to know what tools are available if you want to, if you're a prairie owner, an, an owner of an original prairie and you want to keep that, to learn about cost share programs that are available to control invasive plants, for example. And we, we currently have a, we've just launched a private prairie remnant landowner support program to provide some tools and information for those who do own original unplowed prairies to help them pr- protect what they love. And a lot of this, as you said, the roots grow, grow very deep and that's metaphorical as well. The, uh, the, do you get much pushback on, on preserving this land? Uh, it sounds like that. Farmers are, are learning to use this. Uh, what's your biggest challenge? Um, the challenge is, I would say, land prices um, in terms of, you know, land continues to become more expensive. And so we're always growing support um, to raise more funds to, to purchase more land. Um, I don't think we, we really don't get any pushback. I mean, we're talking about less than one half of one percent of prairie remaining in the state. Um, so, you know, there's about roughly maybe 24, 25,000 acres total of scattered acres throughout the whole state that haven't yet been plowed. I mean, that's a tiny, tiny fraction of our state's total acreage. And, and talking about this organization, 
it looks like lots of volunteers make this happen. We're talking to the executive director of the Missouri Prairie Foundation and its various projects, Carol David. Carol, uh, tell me about the efforts of the people. I mean, this is uh, the foundation itself. This is a not-for-profit, right? Yes. So you have a lot of volunteers across Missouri. We do. It's a 57-year-old conservation organization and nationally accredited land trust. And we have a staff of five, and we have a marvelous, remarkable board of directors who are all volunteers. And then we have other volunteers as well who help with things like um, help on prescribed burns of our prairies or help with educational events, um, meeting people, sharing information about prairie, and also the importance of native plants. And many of our board members help with those prescribed um, burns as well. Some volunteers have helped with seed collecting so that we can collect seed and then um, reconstruct prairie next to a remnant prairie to increase uh, prairie habitat. So how do they get in touch and uh, if they want to volunteer or learn more about the Missouri Prairie Foundation? They can go to moprairie.org, and uh, we have a volunteer form that people can fill out and let us know where they live and the kinds of work that they're interested in doing. Um, and then you can find out about all of the prairies that we own. There's maps to them. They're open to all to enjoy at any time on foot. We also have a toll-free number, 888-843-6739. And we're on many uh, social media uh, channels. I'm sure we'll talk again. It's good to talk to you again. Uh, Carol David of the Missouri Prairie Foundation, thanks for joining us on Show Me Today. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our roads. It's It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you talk and they will hear you Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking during the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. 
Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you have a concern about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. For me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Uh, back in 2010, Schindler's Tavern was named one of the best burger joints in the United States by USA Today. And I thought, well, let's uh, dig into this uh, Schindler's Tavern, find out a little bit more about its history, where it's even located. And, uh, oh, man, there's a, there's a lot. We'll, we'll get into the history of, of the tavern here, and then we'll also talk about uh, a golf outing that uh, they're involved in. And joining me now is Mitch Miller. He's with Kofeld Distributors out of Jackson, Missouri. Mitch, welcome to Show Me Today. Thank you, Bill. It's a pleasure to be on your show. You have to be uh, perhaps one of the most uh, important men there in southeast Missouri uh, because you probably <laughs> fill up Schindler's Tavern with all the cold beer. That's probably your responsibility, isn't it? Uh, some days I'm the most popular person in Missouri, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Schindler's Tavern is located in New Hamburg. Uh, just describe for our listeners where it's at, and uh, it's because it's near it's near Cape. Yes, it's about twenty miles south of Cape on uh, Highway sixty one. You make a right on Highway A and go into until uh, uh, you see the St. Lawrence Church, and then you're in New Hamburg, Missouri. Yeah, it's a it, wonderful, beautiful spot to be. Yeah, and uh, if you sneeze while you're going through town, you might miss it. It looked uh, you it looked just pretty, might. Yeah, 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 a tiny town. Uh, how many people live in New Hamburg? I'm going to say about 175, but with uh, uh, the population explosion, maybe 200. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. Well, Mitch Miller is with Kofeld Distributors, so he's bringing uh, he's bringing in the goods to Schindler's Tavern. But let's talk about. It. I mean, here's a town of uh, maybe 200. 
uh, and it gets the distinction of being one of the best burger joints in the United States. What does Schindler's Tavern do with their hamburgers in New Hamburg uh, that makes it one of the best places? I think the camaraderie and joy that has been had at Schindler's Tavern is probably makes everything a little bit better at Schindler's. The people in New Hamburg and surrounding area are just wonderful folks, and uh, they're so helpful and and take care of each other, you know, uh, the true meaning of neighbors. And uh, Schindler's is no exception. They're involved in every fundraiser that takes place in southeast Missouri just about by donating this or that and having auctions and and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, their food is really, uh, you don't want to be on much of a diet if you eat there. Yeah, It's delicious. It's wonderful. The bologna burger is their claim to fame. I think it's cheese bologna and a big slab of ground beef, all fried and, and then fried onions on the grill as well, if you'd like that. And if you say everything... I want mine with everything. You truly get everything on it. But uh, it's a meal in itself, so fries can come with it. It's not a problem. <laughs> they can keep heaping it all. Well, that's so I've what I've had several of them in my life, and and they're wonderful. Well, that's what puts Schindler's Tavern on the map for the best burger joints in the U.S. The fried bologna on top of the patty. Uh, now. How long has Schindler's Tavern been there in uh, New Hamburg? Since shortly after Prohibition was lifted. No kidding. So it's been around a long time. Who opened it up? Ewald and Mary Schindler. Did yeah. they come up with the bologna on the burger? I, I'm not real sure about that. Yeah. I don't know, and not I know sure Rick Lawson, the owner now, doesn't know, but it's been around a long, long time. Yeah. I think they've kind of, each new owner has honed it down to adding items or taking away something or replacing it with this, but uh, Rick's done a wonderful job of keeping the bologna burger alive and well, and, and uh, the sales of bologna burgers in New Hamburger stunning rivaling mcdonald's probably <laughs> on some days the schindlers owned the tavern and they had an adopted son named cyril glick and it's been passed down to several owners and rick lawson is now the, the current owner he's been there 14 years mitch miller is joining us from kofeld distributors he uh, stacks and stocks schindler's tavern with ice cold beer telling us about the history well what was the town like back uh, in prohibition going just to give us a little history of the town i mean was it was it booming with more than 200 people or has it always been a tiny little town and it's always been a tiny little farming community uh, the saint lawrence church is the centerpiece of the and and it's a beautiful classic catholic church something just to go see it in itself is 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 uh, quite a uh, museum piece almost uh there was a father stevens that was there and he was instrumental in getting sonny liston out of jail so he could have his boxing career yes yeah, sonny was at the uh, state pen in jeff city father stevens i think did lots of stuff with the the prisons met sonny liston and and thought he had a future in boxing and so he he helped him and as much as he could schindler's tavern is located about 20 miles south of cape Girardeau in the small town of new hamburg mitch miller says there might be about 200 people in the town 
He's with Hofeld Distributors. And you mentioned the, the current owner, Rick Lawson, of, uh, of Schindler's Tavern. And uh, they do a lot of charitable work. Tell us about this Cow Pasture Classic, which is spelled with all K's, you say. Guess we're talking yes, golf. Sir. Yes, sir. It's a mock golf tournament. Uh, 39 years ago, we we started the Cow Pasture Classic as just an idea that I had that I passed through to Cy Glick. And uh, he said, that sounds like fun. It's a no description of clubs golf tournament with tennis balls. <laughs> the holes are dug with a post hole digger. Yeah, what do you use for Pardon? clubs? Anything can be used for a club. We've had a prosthetic leg donated by a man from Chaffee, Missouri, to be used as a putter. Oh, my. We've had uh, an axe handle with the jawbone of an ass screwed to the um, axe handle. I can't even begin to rebar welded together with a big flat piece of steel. Uh, all kinds of things like that. Baseball bats, tennis rackets. Now, Mitch, are people welcome, very welcoming to Missourians if they come down and, and take a drive just past Cape Girardeau down I-55 Highway 61 to New Hamburg and come and uh, have a bologna burger at Schindler's Tavern? And New Cal Hamburgers Pastor. never met a stranger. You're just like family. As soon as you get in the city limits, you're just like family. And we've had people from uh, that came here to look at farm ground from England and they ended up, they were just going to go look at the farm ground and go back and catch their flight and go back to England. And they ended up staying three or four days. And uh, two of those days and nights were spent at Schindler's Tavern having bologna burgers and drinking cold beer and listening to uh, the beer man tell jokes and uh, just having fun. And um, they still communicate with the uh, some of the folks in Hamburg, Missouri. but uh, Take a day trip to New Hamburg and get one of these bologna burgers, and you might make some friends for life. Absolutely. It, it's hard not to make a friend in New Hamburg, Missouri. It is so fun to learn about these places and these little towns, little dots on the map in Missouri, but great people, and you sound very welcoming. And uh, we have next chance you, you get, and you're down near Cape Girardeau. Look for New Hamburg on the map and find Schindler's Tavern. I, I do make that trip every so often. I'm going to pop in sometime. I'll, I'll bring my clubs, I'll bring my tennis racket, and I'll try to find, find, yeah. a, find a fake leg to putt. <laughs> I love it. Mitch Miller yeah. from Kofeld Distributors in Jackson giving us the history on the town of New Hamburg and Schindler's Tavern, which has been around since just after Prohibition. Mitch, thanks for the stories. Uh, really appreciate it, and great meeting you, too. Yes, it'd be nice to meet you, Bill, and thank you so very much. Uh, come help us raise the money for the Veterans Home and the Children's Center in Sykeston. Cow Pasture Classic. When is the next one? April 22nd, Saturday, April 22nd. All right. Mitch, thank you. We're going to run. Uh, this. Yeah, this is Show Me Today. The first three years of every child's life are critical. Learn more about early intervention. How your baby or toddler plays, learns, talks, acts, and moves give important clues as to how they are developing. If you have any questions or concerns about whether your baby or toddler's development is on track, please call 1-800-515-BABY. That's 1-800-515-2229. Call 1-800-515-BABY. That's 1-800-515-2229. Mom and Dad used to argue about everything, especially about Dad's drinking. My family went from totally crazy to quiet, calm, and even peaceful when mom started going to Al-Anon family groups. 
I wanted a better relationship with Dad, so I asked Mom if she would take me to her Al-Anon meetings or to Alateen. I'm sure glad I did. If someone's drinking troubling you, you might be surprised at what you can learn in an Al-Anon or Alateen family group from people just like you. Call 1-888-4-AL-ANON or go to alanon.org. Or, Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. If you're talking, they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. The state will begin the annual renewal process on the 1st for roughly 1.4 million Missourians currently enrolled in Medicaid to ensure they still qualify. Elisa Nelson talks to Kim Evans, Missouri's Family Support Division Director, to share what you need to know to prepare for the renewal process. The Family Support Division has done a big campaign in the the, um, the last 12 to eight, uh, 12 months or so to obtain the most current information uh, on individuals. We'll be really want folks to make sure that we have the correct mailing address. And But not only the mailing address is a telephone number where we could reach you or an email address that we could reach you in case that we have questions or that we want to send communication out to you to, to get that updated information. So uh, in April, we are actually starting with individuals who would uh, have an annual renewal due in the month of June. And uh, what we will be doing is we will be checking some electronic verification through the month of April. If we are able to verify your information and you continue eligible, you will receive a, a letter from us. Uh, and these are individuals we're doing this month by month. So these are individuals who would have normally had an annual renewal due in June. Uh, in April, if we're able to verify all the information, then they'll receive a letter from us saying there's no changes in your benefit or we've moved you to a better benefit depending on your situation. 
for individuals who we were unable to verify their income or uh, if they lived in the state of Missouri, um, um, then w what we would do is that we would send a pre-populated form to those individuals. And so that form will be mailed out uh, around the 5th or 6th of May. And then these individuals have till, till June 30th to get that form back to us. There are different ways that they can report that form to us. They can mail that back to us. They can go to our website and they can upload the document. We have resource centers where, where individuals can walk in and uh, give that form to our uh, staff there. They can use the um, the automated phone line uh, to be able to talk to someone and complete their annual renewal on phone. And starting May 1st, we will have that pre-populated form available to them on our new customer portal that we'll be launching May 1st. So there, there's a lot of ways and a lot of opportunities for individuals to make sure that they get those forms back to us so that we can complete that annual renewal. June 30th is the deadline then, is that right? We do send notices. You will hear from us one way or the other. So you'll either receive a notice saying there's no changes in your benefit or we've increased your benefits due to your situation. You may see receive a form, what we call an adverse action, and we have to give you 10-day notice saying that we're going to decrease or close your benefits. And then you have the, the participant would have 10 days to contact us to disagree or to ask for an administrative hearing. Then once that adverse action period has ended, if there is a closure or a change that um, maybe they go from not having to pay a premium to now having to pay a premium, we will take that action and we will send them a final letter saying that we, you know, we've taken this action. Now, I do want to say this. If their case is closed at the end of June or any at the end of any month of annual renewal, they can come back within 90 days, bring us that annual renewal form, we will reopen the case and we will explore the eligibility at that point. If they wait till day 91, they're going to have to complete a new application. So they're, so if for some reason they close, um, and, you know, um, due to failure to get the form back in or failure to get requested information back into us, they have 90 days to come back in, contact the agency, and we can explore coverage. The state will begin the annual renewal process for oh. roughly 1.4 million Missourians who are currently enrolled in Medicaid to ensure they still qualify. The process will begin April 1st. Kim Evans, Missouri's Family Support Division Director, joins Show Me Today to talk about some of the important things that people need to know about when this uh, process comes around. I'm Elisa Nelson. Now, now, how can people update their mailing address, phone number, any of that stuff? So um, we do have an online presence that you can go to mydss.mo.gov, and you will be able to update your addresses. You can um, the the website will will lead you through the process of being able to update that information. You can also call our call center, and the information to um, we can um, the information on reaching us by phone is also on our website. And you can call and talk to one of our uh, staff. You can also use our live chat 
to be able to report your new address um, that way, or you can come to a local office, or you can scan or fax that information into us uh, through that portal also. Are you seeing an influx of folks um, updating their information here uh, before the review process or the renewal process starts? We have seen quite a few um, address changes. We're also working with our managed care plan, so they've been very helpful. And as they are talking to individuals uh, that, that are participants of their managed care plan, they are also checking to make sure that we have the most current information on the participant and then relaying that information to the Family Support Division so we can update the cases. So there's a lot of efforts. We're also working very closely with our community partners, which includes includes also hospitals, medical clinics, um, school nurses, uh, really an all-out effort for to, to help uh, get these cases updated and making sure that people get the information once it's time for them to receive their renewal. Uh, curious, what seems to be the most frequently asked questions about this renewal process? That you, do you Are you familiar with any? Uh, the most, what we're seeing right now is when will my renewal come due? And really excited to get this new portal stood up May 1st because once they establish an account um, on this new portal, they, individuals will be able to see the date that their annual renewal is due. And uh, that's information we do not have right now. And so I think it's going to be very helpful for folks not to panic. Um, you know, May 1st, go out there, get your account um, established, and then you'll be they'll be able to see when their um, annual renewal is due. And then if we have to send a pre-populated form to them, an annual renewal form, they'll also be able to view that form on that portal. And if they need to make corrections on it, uh, or if they just agree with the information we have on there, they can sign it electronically and then submit it back to us. Kim Evans, Missouri's Family Support Division Director, joined Show Me Today to talk about some of the important things that people need to know about when this process comes around. I'm Elisa Nelson. Now, is this, Kim, is this just for uh, Medicaid participants is this, or is this for other social services programs as well? This is just for the Medicaid program, which will include the MAGI population, which is families, and the new uh, expansion group uh, that we have, and then also children, and then also our age, blind, and disabled population that are on Medicaid. All right. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Show me today.